Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Terror attack foiled in Germany. Prosecutors say a Tunisian man made the deadly poison ricin and was plotting a biological weapon attack somewhere in Germany. Exposure to ricin causes organ failure and could kill a person within 48 hours. Investigators say he bought the ingredients online. Right now, there's no evidence he's connected to a terror organization. Welcome to Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Guess what? It's Friday Eve, otherwise known as Thursday. <laughs> so it's time for us to uh, have Stacy on the Right show and get into all of the news. We have so much going on. Um, and, and I have to say, it's really kind of good news, kind of meh, you know, the DO, DOJ and, and IG report and all that stuff that's going on today. Um, I really wasn't expecting a bombshell. In fact, the lack of leakage over the past three weeks since others have had their hands on it was kind of indicative of us really knowing a lot of this beforehand. I said right here on this program uh, about a year ago that it there was probably one reason beyond the Clinton dynasty that prevented Hillary Clinton from experiencing the full ramifications of what she did. And that's that she emailed President Obama on that email server. He was aware that she was using a, an unsecure server so much so that he actually had a dummy email account as well uh, that had like a code name and he would email her from that. But he also emailed her from his primary account. And obviously when he would get emails from her, he would see that she was emailing him from a not .gov address. And so at the first time that that occurred, he could have said, I will receive no more communications from you until you secure your email and if she refused to do so, then he could have, you know, I mean, he could do anything. He could instruct the Department of Justice to do anything. She was a cabinet official. He could have let her go. Look at all of the people who've been fired by the Trump administration for whatever reason. It would have been easy for him to do that. But he had political favors to play back, to pay back. And the Clintons obviously don't go quietly into that good night. And at that point, she was still very powerful. And so, you know, he basically covered her with his... Um, invisible shield of he can never be prosecuted for anything because he's the first black president. So uh, that's that's the crux of it. There's a lot of emails that are or text messages and, and communications between Peter Strzok and, and Lisa Page that indicate not just the seriousness of their relationship, but their surety and, uh, you know, the, the fact that so many others in government, especially the FBI, agreed with them that Donald Trump should never be the president of the United States, whether he was elected or not. So that's another kind of nuance to it. Um, there's already a lot of spin out there. I've heard some local news people here in St. Louis on the radio deeming the report unflattering, which is, come on, unflattering? We're not talking about a fashion show analysis or, or you know, uh, page six gossip column. We're talking about an investigative report that really shows that James Comey doesn't have any, he doesn't have any room to wag his finger or look down on other people in government after uh, being found to have been not not exactly on the up and up when he was the director of the FBI. Today we have two guests. We have Angela Morabito, senior campaign organizer for StandUnited.org. And we have Curtis Hauk. He's the managing editor of Newsbusters. And we'll be talking to them, China, ZTE, what are we going to do about that company? Um, we'll be talking to Angela about that. And with Curtis, we're going to discuss the fact that Samantha B's advertisers have actually not returned. If this were a uh, conservative 
television show and the advertisers had left and flown the coop and not come back three weeks after the scandal, everybody on CNN and MSNBC would be, well, because we just won't tolerate this type of, you know, when we go, when you go low, we go high. And they would have gotten all their slogans out and they would have beat their chests and put their safety pins on and said, you know, this is what you get when you, when you, your, your discourse is vulgar and disgusting. Well, her discourse actually was vulgar and disgusting. The advertisers have flown the coop and they're just not saying anything about it. Probably because they're like, oh, if we just keep quiet about it, no one will notice. And also maybe they'll come back. So let's listen to some audio about this memo. Um, This memo and, and to set it up, the memo that I'm talking about shows foreign actors gained access to Hillary Clinton's emails. Now, again, any other person in government especially if they were in a uh, Republican administration. But, you know, generally speaking, anyone like Anthony Weiner couldn't have gotten away with this. I don't think Huma Abedin could get away with it, Um, but maybe she could because of her proximity to Hillary Clinton. If you had foreign actors gain access to your email account due to your own negligence, that would be something that you could be prosecuted for. We haven't seen Hillary be prosecuted for this, but we now know this, that that this occurred. Uh, It's number four. The inspector general's report put Director Comey's leadership style under the microscope, with the inspector general exploring whether Comey went beyond his authorities in July 2016 when he publicly discussed the Clinton email investigation and recommended against criminal charges at this event, a responsibility that fell to his boss, Attorney General Loretta Lynch. We are working to confirm independently a Bloomberg report within the last hour that the IG found Comey went beyond his authorities, damaging the FBI's reputation, and said Comey's decisions were not driven by political bias. Comey testified after he was fired in May 2017 that Lynch's Arizona tarmac meeting with Bill Clinton just days before Hillary Clinton's FBI interview for mishandling classified information was a game changer, in addition to other intelligence that implied Lynch would not let the email investigation go too far. When Fox News caught up with Lynch on Capitol Hill, she refused to answer questions about the email case and other allegations. The report reportedly rebukes Lynch as well for her handling of the federal criminal probe. This morning, the attorney general said based on the findings, there may be more firings justified. So firings, but what about prosecutions for violating the Classified Records Act? So she goes on a little bit further in uh, this next bit and finishes it up. It's a news piece from Fox News. Uh, It's number five. I think it'll be a, a lengthy report and a careful report. It will be released soon. And um, uh, I think it will help us uh, better fix any problems that we have and reassure the American people uh, that some of the concerns that have been raised are not true. If anyone else shows up in this report to have done something that that requires termination, we will do so. The report uh, began back in January 2017, and based on our reporting, it's more than 500 pages in length, and we expect it to be available to the public at some time later today, Sandra. And Catherine, you've obtained a House memo in advance of the IG's testimony. What are we learning there? Well, the memo was prepared, Sandra, by Chairman Goodlatte and Chairman Gowdy in advance of a joint public hearing next week where the Inspector General Michael E. Horowitz will defend the findings. Fox News has obtained this May 2016 FBI email that is cited in the congressional memo. FBI agent Peter Strzok in the email tells senior FBI executives that it goes too far to say hostile actors gained access to then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's private email account. 
But he continues, it is more accurate to say we know foreign actors obtained access to some of her emails, including at least one secret. So that's a high level of classification via compromises of the private email accounts of some of her staffers. That's important to note for some context that when Comey made his public statement in July of 2016, he said it was perhaps likely that the emails were compromised, but no direct evidence had been found. That's why this email we have today appears so significant, Sandra. So was Comey completely on the up and up? And so I, I admit to you, but before we get a little bit further into this, because I, I, I have some information here about that, that one text that really is going to become um, the, I think it's going to be the, the battering ram for this story. Besides the fact that the, the bad actors received access, they were able to gain access to Hillary Clinton's email server. Besides that, besides the fact that James Comey apparently wasn't honest about it and forthright, uh, there's, there's this, this issue of we have James Comey, let's just take him by himself. He's, he's kind of been uplifted, not just through his own, uh, you know, work on his Twitter feed and things like that, but People have they treat him like he's this knight in shining armor and all he has to do is say something and it's automatically true and we don't need to double check. Well, well, now we come to find out we do. We do need to double check things that he says. He's not. He's not trustworthy. There's also the issue of. um, So they're talking about possibly people being fired. Yeah, people could get fired. Um, But but how far does it go? The possibility of people getting fired is not enough. <coughs> Excuse me. When we're talking about this kind of wrongdoing, what's to say that it can't happen again? The Democrats will eventually be in power again. How do we how do we prevent people from feeling like this is something they can get away with? Now, the text message. It's FBI agent Peter Strzok. He's texting Lisa Page. They have this relationship, you know, <clears throat> and what they're doing is they're, they're shocked, you know, they're, they, there's been this big speech that Donald Trump has given and he is just lighting the world on fire and people on the right are energized and they're seeing what looks like a freight train bearing down on them. And that train is Donald Trump and a new direction for the Republican party, because it's pretty clear now that while some of us may have been kind of too close to the situation to see it. Liberals were able to ascertain that if Donald Trump took over the Republican Party as president, that he would make changes that would radically alter the direction because he's a business person and he really isn't a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. He's given to all of the parties. He's hobnobbed with all of the officials from the parties. He's been to everyone's wedding. He was really about his bottom line, his balance sheets. Really interesting that he likes to talk about those. That's what he's really concerned with. So they could see it coming. This is uh, August 2016. They're texting each other. And uh, it's a text message to Lisa Page from Peter Strzok. And he says, Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? So she texts back, no, no, he won't. We'll stop it. They're dating. They're also working for the FBI. And they're texting on these devices. It's like they haven't seen any, uh, what was that, uh, the TV show called The Good Wife? I don't know if you guys ever watched that, but in that television show, which is set in 
Chicago, but it intersects with Washington, D.C., and the husband is the governor, and then there's a sex scandal, and yada, yada, yada. Well, the wife is the star of the show, and she has NSA tap into her phones through, basically, they obtain a warrant to get into her phone by reason of the fact that they're investigating her husband. When they listen in, they're supposed to listen to see if anything that she's talking about or anyone she's calling or anyone who's connected to her has anything to do with the investigation that they have the original wiretap for, warrant for. But instead, they get enthralled with her extramarital affair and some other things she has going on. So they keep listening. So this is on television. It's it's clear that we all know that not only do they store our metadata, they can store the actual content of the calls which means the text messages are available as well. When you delete a text message, it doesn't go away. If, you know, Jenny radio host here in the Midwest knows that, then how in the world is it that Peter Strzok and Lisa Page felt so comfortable within their positions and their text message, you know, able to, to communicate with each other that they were fine with texting each other this stuff? They must have been pretty sure that they could stop this. They must have felt more than pretty sure. They felt like they had the right people in the right places at the right time to do exactly what she said. No, no, he won't. We'll stop it. So Strzok was removed from special counsel Robert Mueller's team in August after the IG uncovered the text messages and has since left the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Strzok's comment is reminiscent of his cryptic discussion of implementing an insurance policy in the event that Trump won the election, which was exposed in a previous batch of text messages uncovered by the IG late last year. So while it remains unclear whether their partisan leanings affected their conduct during the time on Mueller's team, I would say, I mean, how does it remain unclear? And, and I'm sharing a, a bit of information with you from National Review. How is it? How is it unclear? It's clear that they were biased and operating in a partisan fashion. We can't even... Like, there's no way you're sitting here and listening to this. If you believe what is in the IG report, if you believe those text messages exist, that you can say, well, they weren't partisan. They were. They were actively working to subvert one candidate from coming into office. And once he was elected, they worked to try to make sure he couldn't be inaugurated. And, you know, that, that's what they were doing. So the IG report says that... These actions had no bearing on their behavior while investigating Clinton's use of the private email server. And to that, I say, I have some, you know, murky looking property right back here at the back of our lot that I'd like to sell to you to build a house on. Yeah. If you're willing to believe that, then dishonest people are going to take advantage of you because you're a patsy. That's why. Which is why these reports... In the end, they don't have any results, no teeth. This is incredulous, in my opinion. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Angela Morbido and more. Stay right there. My favorite things to do in Israel is take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. We'll be taking our annual tour of Israel in March of 2019, but it's time to sign up 
We have a lot of folks sign up early, and last year, in fact, we filled up several months in advance. So for all the information on this trip to Israel, a bucket list trip for most people, go to the website twholyland.com. That's twholyland.com. Or for a free brochure, call us at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your phone number. We'll be flying direct from the States to Tel Aviv and then begin our tour in Jerusalem of Israel. We hope you can join us in 2019. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Years ago when our infant daughter died, Karen and I were devastated. Many friends heard about our tragedy and ministered to us at this point of incredible need. But there was one man who bugged me, to be honest with you. This fellow said, I have peace in my heart that this tragedy is not because you and Karen have sinned. I was offended by his attitude. He was arrogant and condescending, and it bothered me greatly. He seemed to think he had a corner on spiritual discernment. Not every tragedy, illness, or hardship is an indication of God's judgment. But some suffering and hardship is, in fact, God's instrument of judgment or discipline. Sometimes the only way God can get our attention is by allowing suffering and pain to visit us. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, David and the nation of Israel experienced an incredible famine. Listen to these words. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David sought the presence of the Lord, and the Lord said, It is for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. God told David clearly, yes, in fact, this famine is due to Saul's great sin. Now, David went on to make things right, but I want to make some observations uh, for our benefit. Uh, Make past wrongs right before the Lord. Don't let things stay around. If you know there are wrong things you've done, make them right before the Lord. Look closely at yourself. What are your motivations? Are you living a pure life before the Lord? Take your sins to Christ and restore that communion with Him. Here's what I want you to remember today. Sin is serious business. We need to keep short accounts and thereby minimize the consequences of sin. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today at Stacey on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. StaceyOnTheRight.com is the website. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. We have Angela Morabito, Senior Campaign Organizer for StandUnited.org and uh, frequent guest of the program. Angela, thank you for joining in today. Uh, it's great to be talking with you, Stacey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I went on to StandUnited.org and saw that one of the pieces that you have right there on the homepage refers to the ZTE, China, trade war possibilities, negotiations, et cetera, et cetera. And ZTE is a huge issue. There's a fight going on on Capitol Hill about it because the president has one direction that he'd like to take and the Hill would like to go in another way. So talk to us a little bit about that. Exactly. So uh, this petition actually came from one of our sponsors. People come to us all the time with different petition ideas. And this one is uh, specifically about American manufacturing. Uh, Trump, in his dealings with China, kind of wants to extend the olive branch and say, we'll uh, kind of make inroads through ZTE in American markets. 
But I have some concerns about that because if you look at what BCC has done, uh, they are uh, not exactly the best technological citizens. They uh, are actually banned from military bases that I believe is well from the Pentagon because they do some pretty questionable stuff. So it is, do we want to be buying more phones made in China? And do we want to accept the risk that we could be spied on? So what what is the 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 position that's being taken on your website, Stand United, where you gather people together for action? What is it that we as citizens, if you will, uh, are supposed to want to see in the way of dealing with ZTE and their their apparent malfeasance? So everybody who's signing that position is signing on to say, keep blocking ZTE. They are blocked from the American market for now. Trump has hinted that that may change, and people are signing on to say, no, 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 we need to be not only just supporting American companies, but keeping ourselves safe from companies that work really closely with the Chinese government and could almost be considered an agent of the Chinese government. So I I think that, on the one hand, it sounds like President Trump really understands the situation and wants to get the Chinese government to stop poaching our intellectual property, selling our products as their own, um, you know, forcing our, our companies in order to do business in China to give up their intellectual property, et cetera. What is the difference here? Uh, this one isn't specifically related to intellectual property. That is a fascinating topic. And of course, someone who creates something original should have the right to protect it, which China certainly has uh, trampled on those rights in the past, and they continue to do that now. This is specifically about, do we want a device that's made by this shady company in our hands, in our pockets, in our purses every single day? And so we're talking about a product that they make, phones, basically, that are unsecure. Exactly. And that is not a flaw in these devices. That's exactly how uh, they plan it, which is pretty frightening. Uh, now, as far as foreign relations petitions go, most of our stuff, most of the issues people bring to Stand United are domestic. But we do have an interesting foreign one that just uh, kind of got revived over the past day or two that says President Trump should get the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize for what he has been able to accomplish thus far with North Korea. Um, of course, plenty of people want to wait to see more results. I fully and completely respect that. Um, but the petition is getting some big notice, and there are two Norwegian lawmakers who uh, actually formally nominated Trump uh, just within the past day. So the Nobel Peace Prize nomination for President Trump, I saw that on Drudge last night. Um, I actually think that it was awarded prematurely to President Obama, and I would prefer to see President Trump actually close the deal and complete it um, which is something that he seems like in his in his private life as a business person, he really liked to take things all the way through to completion. And then he would have the ability to kind of brag on what was what was accomplished. I think this is kind of early, in my opinion, and I'm a, I'm a supporter of the president, but I just don't I don't think enough has been done. Getting Kim Jong Un to meet, I think, was strictly a, fa- a, a facility or an, an outgrowth of the fact that Donald Trump didn't deal with him the way every other president has before. He just treated him like someone he wanted to meet and be friends with, and that worked. But that's not the end goal for us. The end goal for us is obviously 
normalize relations, the the denuclearization of the peninsula and uh, the end of the gulags and the torture and all of that stuff that goes on with the, the citizens of North Korea. Absolutely. I mean, clearly, uh, Kim Jong-un is, is a figurehead of an absolutely evil and despotic regime. Uh, that why it gives me, that's why it gives me pause to see Trump saluting a North Korean general. Uh, that video I find uh, deeply disturbing. But there he is trying to get this deal done, and he's got a signature on paper from Kim Jong-un. Granted, this is not something that could become a win this year. Nominations for the Nobel uh, really close every January. So the Nobel Committee has until 2019 to make their decision. It's already been closed for 2018. Uh, so no matter what, they'll be going in with some more information, which um, maybe Kim Jong-un demuclearizes, maybe he doesn't. Uh, but if he does, that nomination is there, and it could be, you know, it could put Trump up for consideration for that award. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, I understand the dates and all of that stuff, but I'm just, I, I think it's a much better accomplishment for him to receive the Nobel Peace Prize for actually accomplishing the goal that he set out to, uh, in, in initiating the, the diplomatic relations. Um, uh, so what other issues are you guys covering over at Stan United besides ZTE? And of course the, uh, the wonder of the newfound relationship and kind of brohood of President Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un. Okay, brohood is a great word. I have not heard a more perfect description of what those two guys have. Uh, so that's uh, pretty great. But we're also working on a number of different issues, including a video game company that's called Active Software. Uh, they released a game that's called Active Shooter, and it's a first-person shooting game that you essentially play a school shooter. It's Horrible. The Entertainment Software Association has denounced it. Uh, this is not the kind of entertainment that is healthy or normal for anyone, and with good reason. So we are petitioning Active Software to shut down the game, to stop distributing this thing that tries to make it fun for people to act out going into a school with a machine gun and gunning down a bunch of civilians, and also police. Um, if you look at it, I've seen still from within this game, and uh, the way you get points is essentially by killing civilians and by killing police. It's all digital, but if someone has that fantasy of wanting to go into a school and committing mass murder, that game only fuels that. And it, it, it's incredibly disturbing. It's something every parent needs to be aware about. It's something every teacher needs to be aware of, because video games are such a presence in school. Uh, so we're positioning active software to shut that down. Be a good corporate citizen. Don't be spreading this horrible game. Hmm. Um, well, yeah, I, I think it's shocking that they have the game and that they're planning on releasing it and that it's something that I, I understand free speech and all of that in the private sector, but there should be some things. We're talking about children here who are getting killed. Uh, it's it's pretty pretty stunning that they would even do that. Um, so at the website, standunited.org. Thank you so much for joining us today, Angela. It's my pleasure, Stacey. Uh, always so much fun to talk with you. Awesome. We'll talk to you again soon. So uh, we, we have uh, just really, I want to get back to and complete our discussion about these text messages, which seem to be the central, uh, I don't know, blockbuster to this report. And that being said, it's, 
it's not as stunning as we thought. But if you've been paying attention and if you've been listening to this program, then you're you're up to speed. There's a reason why we haven't been pounding this every day as a subject. It's just there's nothing new unless there's an indictment coming down for Hillary Clinton and anyone else who emailed on the unclassified devices. If unless there's some kind of connection between the foreign entities accessing her email servers, hostile actors, and then something happening abroad, you know, uh, some of our operators who are undercover being unmasked, which we suspect occurred, someone being killed, something like that, unless there's a connection and, and a clear, bright line dot to dot that connects all of it together and, and paints a picture for us of you did this and hence these things happened and you broke these laws and therefore we're going to indict and prosecute, then I mean, sure, it's interesting to read the text, but, you know, it, what, what the bigger deal here to me is that the underlying and overarching reason we're even having any of these discussions, besides, of course, the leaks, is that the president is being investigated by Mueller for obstructing justice and colluding with the Russians. There was no collusion. We're clear about that. And this Newest report, again, scratch a scandal, find a Democrat. We're talking about the Democrats being the ones on the hook here. And I'm over this idea that uh, that James Comey was a Republican. He's not the kind of Republican I would ever sit down with and discuss strategy. He wasn't then and he isn't now. I know he's since renounced, you know, because he hates Donald Trump. But even before that, how much of a Republican could he have been seeing that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were emailing on classified information on unclassified servers, and he didn't feel the impetus as a citizen of this country and the head of the FBI, chief law enforcement official underneath the DOJ, to do anything about it. Being an honorable person is not strictly the purview of Republicans, so don't, don't get it twisted. Please don't email me about how, you know, I have to be neutral because... Uh, there's no Democrats or Republicans in the Bible. I know that. I am aware. I've read it a few times. But there are things that are in the Bible, like telling the truth, that God formed us before he knew us. So abortion, that's verboten. Supporting the complete obliteration of traditional marriage for law in this country, that's not biblical. So if you go to the platform and you look at the platform and what it says, it's clear that one party is not dancing within the lines, not even close. But this really isn't about party affiliation. If you're serving as a career appointee heading up the FBI, you're nonpartisan. So what prevented him from discharging his duties in this, in this way? What prevented him? He's now even come out and said, I'm not sure I was aware, which is the preclude, pre that's, that's the prelude to a lie. I'm not sure I was aware that Huma Abedin was married to Anthony Weiner. Now, knowing that would definitely have an impact on how you viewed the things that Anthony Weiner was doing. To say that you didn't know gives you a little bit of wiggle room where you don't have to, oh, well, I didn't actually know it. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that I knew. Well, how could we be sure? Because he kept memos on everything else. We could probably go back through his records and see if, if the records show that he knew that. Certainly many others in the FBI knew that the two of them were married. 
So there's a, a tweet from the president, of course. Um, the president tweeted, now that I'm back from Singapore, where we had a great result with respect to North Korea, the thought process must sadly go back to the witch hunt, always remembering that there was no collusion and no obstruction of the fabricated no crime. That's what he tweeted. Now, what they have found in the IG report is that Comey deviated from standard procedure in handling of the matter. Uh, the IG report has a lot in it. There's a lot to digest. And I haven't had a chance to read through it completely. I've read a couple of summaries. But suffice it to say, I find it immensely dissatisfying that we continue to find more and more instances of people doing things that are wrong. And the response to that is, well, you know, this is an unflattering report. The rule of law is something that our country is based upon. And if we don't have that, then, I mean, what does any of the rest of it mean? If the laws are respecter of persons and certain people can get away with things and other people can't, it really calls into question whether or not the Constitution applies to everyone, whether or not the law applies to everyone, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's the, the door. You crack that door open, you're looking in at anarchy. It's like Pandora's box. You don't know what's going to come out of it. So when we get back from this break, we are going to be uh, digging into a little bit of information from former DNI head James Clapper, who credits President Trump for breaking the North Korean stalemate, which is quite, quite a bit of audio to listen to if you think about how much Clapper hates Donald Trump. Um, it's been interesting to watch people slowly come around to the realization that I don't agree with the president saluting some military general. I'm not sure what was going on there. All I can chalk that up to is a lack of savvy with protocol. Um, I don't agree with that, but there's no denying the fact that the president achieved a feat in at least opening diplomatic relations with this guy. Um, and so a lot of people on the left are, are actually, you know, giving reluctant slow claps and, I'll take it. At least there's an acknowledgement that something happened here. Uh, and then I have a, an article about how to significantly reduce school shootings right now by the time school starts in the fall. Now, some of the ideas in the article I've shared here on the show with you, they're not uh, earth shattering, but they're put together in such a way in this piece that they're just, it's perfect. It's a great column that this guy wrote. So we'll get into that as well before the end of the first hour of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Stay right there. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. A married couple needs to focus on both partners' passions and needs. What's important to one partner might not be as important to the other. For Tony, his passion is sports. For me, it's adoption. During Tony's career, we sacrificed, made adjustments, and moved around the country because that's what needed to happen. He was passionate about his job, and I loved supporting him. And I enjoyed supporting Lauren and her passion for adoption. I share her passion, and God has blessed us with a wonderful family. I'm so proud of Lauren and the woman of God that she is. 
find out the needs and desires of your spouse and then be an encourager to them. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Pastor Joseph Parker. You know, obviously when things are going well, it's much easier to have an attitude of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. But even when things are going difficult, it's important to know too, there's never a time it's inappropriate for us to thank and praise God. Now some may ask, well, what about when you're going through difficult times, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? We can have two different responses. We can worship or we can whine. Tune in to the Hour of Intercession, weekday afternoons at 1 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Just a Minute with Stacy Washington. Slow down, moms. That sounds pretty counterintuitive, doesn't it? Haven't we all wished to work faster, smarter, and better? But that isn't what God has for us. We have been given life to enjoy abundantly, which means that we must prune our activities for our own sanity. As American culture moves at an ever-increasing speed, God calls moms to slow down and say no sometimes. Not only is there power in doing so, there is relief because we must use our time wisely. We often feel the pressure to say yes because we don't want other parents to question our fitness. This fear leads to overscheduling and stress. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13 says, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. Pray about your family commitments and feel free to say no. God will bless you for it. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Uh, my observation, uh, uh, certainly when I was there, was the North Koreans were clearly stuck on their narrative and we were kind of stuck on ours. Mm -hmm. And the emblematic of that were the talking points that I was assigned to recite to the North Koreans, first one of which was, you must denuclearize before we'll talk to you. Well, that was a non-starter. So President Trump, to his credit, has changed that narrative, I think. And in a dilemma like this, only the bigger partner, meaning the U.S., could do that. So that's a good thing. And we're in the diplomatic lane as opposed to where we were headed, say, six months ago or so. So that, that's a good thing. Wow. So there's an acknowledgement that our president has done quite well as it pertains to just just getting a different result than what has traditionally been the conversation. The conversation has traditionally been that they show up. They um, the president of the United States says, first, you denuclearize and then we talk. And until then, the sanctions will remain. And Kim Jong Un says, thanks for stopping by. And that's it. Now there's a different dynamic. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. How could I not be? Um, so, and, and it's, it's gratifying to hear James Clapper actually credit the, the president with having accomplished something. Uh, but I, I hold to what I shared with our first guest, Angela Morabito. I do not want to see 
any kind of tangible rewards until we see the tangible results that the president has laid out as his goals for the country. So uh, there's that. So right now, I want to get into this story about significantly reducing school shootings right now, right now, in preparation for the fall. Now, first things first, the author of this story, um, Roy A. Johnston, he even included graphs that he created himself to illustrate his points. Now, what's so important about that is that he did some research to support where he's going with this. So he's got the, um, the, he starts in January of 1979. Well, he actually goes back to 1966 when Charles Whitman killed 17 people and wounded 31 at the university of Texas. He says, no one saw it coming except Whitman who planned the attack out in his diary and et cetera. Then 10 years later, a janitor at Cal State Fullerton killed two and wounded seven. January of 1979, a 16-year-old girl killed two adults and wounded nine elementary school children, firing from her home across the street. And two months prior, her father had refused to have her committed to a mental institution, ignoring the advice of a psychiatrist. Instead, he bought her a rifle for Christmas, for which he should have been prosecuted. I mean, come on. So in 1984, you have two elementary school children killed, 12 wounded while coming outside for recess five years earlier. South L.A. police had arrested the perpetrator for making threats with a gun for which he received a misdemeanor and probation, but no guns were confiscated. In 1986, 74 children were injured by a bomb in Wyoming and in 1988 had two multi-casualty incidences. So he goes through and concludes with 80 mass casualty events from 1900 to 1989 with mental instability being the common thread. But then things begin to accelerate. And he has a chart for that. He calls the chart extreme school shootings, 1990 to 2018. Um, So since 1990, there have been 292 school shooting events, a gun fired at a school. 35 occurred at colleges or universities. There were 36 major of at least three or more victims shootings at, at elementary or secondary schools. Now, Mr. Johnson focuses on the 36 because all shooters but one were under the age of 21, average age 16. Suicides, revenge, gang, and drug-related shootings were screened out. Some studies use the criteria for a major event as four dead to make the problem look smaller, but he uses three. Out of the 36 major events, 11, or 31%, were extreme, having at least 10 victims. The primary weapons were handguns, 75%, and 61% of them were stolen from a parent or relative. Hate for a teacher or student was the only motive with a significant correlation across all events at 55%. All but one event was planned well in advance. So the, he goes on to summarize, there had been 292 shooting events at places of juvenile education since 1990, which is about 10 shootings per year or one shooting for each month that school is in session. Now, stressing this is important because that lays out what we can expect for this coming school year, at least one shooting event per month that school is in session. Now, 11 of the 292 shootings were extreme, 36 were major with three or more victims. The perpetrators in the major events were known by family, teachers, and schoolmates to have emotional or mental problems. The weapons of choice were primarily handguns that were legally owned by family members. 
but the shooting frequency has accelerated greatly since the year 2010. So Roy Johnson says his objective in writing this report and, and doing all the research that came along with it is that he wants to lessen the incidence of mass school shootings and keep the Second Amendment intact. This should be the goal of every person who claims to care about school shootings, who claims to want to protect the lives of children. You should want both of those things. So in order of priority, he lists the following four items as what he feels are integral to achieving both of those aims, lessening the incident of school shootings and maintaining the intact Second Amendment. First of all, he says you have to restrict entry access to the school. You must add metal detectors. That's number two. Costly, but why don't billionaires in our country fund this cause? They devote millions to Africa. Why not help America's children? Number three, allow teachers proficient with handguns to carry them concealed. This provides a second line of defense inside the school. And number four, publicize that schools have armed protection at multiple levels. Peace through strength action will be the strongest deterrent that is easy to implement. Longer-term actions are essential to solve the root causes of school gun violence, and these actions fall into a few categories. Now, I'm going to give you the categories and have a little bit more to discuss on this. And, of course, if you want to weigh in on this, I'd love to speak to you, 866-963-2037. The categories that he says warrant long-term action, mental illness, 97% of the perpetrators were known to have serious emotional and mental struggles, create a local police hotline, a kind of see something, say something concept where you can call in people who you know they're going to do harm to someone. But red flag, red flag laws that are now under consideration do nothing about the real problem, which is emotionally and mentally disturbed students. And failing to define the dangerous warning signs creates a legal quagmire. The other thing that is a real problem here is that you have to actually do something when you get the call. How many times was the Parkland shooter called in, reported? How many times were the police notified? So, you know, having a hotline doesn't mean anything if the people who are staffing it just don't do anything with the information that they're given. And then you have let doctors work with police. Allow doctors, psychiatrists, and teachers to proactively contact law enforcement when they have individuals that they believe present a danger to society. Again, you have to do something with the information. You have to intervene. Otherwise, the reporting mechanisms are for nothing. And then you have to allow patient intervention. According to Mr. Johnston, legislatures must pass laws allowing patient intervention, not grabbing the parents' guns because they'll just go get guns from somewhere else. Today, we look the other way and leave the parents with a full burden. Some of the parents whose kids went on to shoot people actually asked for help. They asked the kids psychotherapist will you commit him no he hasn't hurt anybody yet they call the police what has he done nothing we can come out and have a chat with him but that doesn't mean we can do anything he hasn't hurt anybody yet some of the parents who called these things in were actually murdered by their own children along with the other people think Klebold, uh, you know the 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 uh, trench coat wearers they killed their parents also it's just it's a tragedy that you know something bad is going to happen and there's nothing you can do. And then our government representatives who are worried about the rights of the very, very few from the safety of the many, but we still reelect them. So he also has uh, a, a reference in here to a solution by Marianne Barnard, 
JD in her summary provided at mentalhealthpolicy.org. She bottom lines it by saying the National Conference of Commissioners on Uniform State Laws should consider creating a need for treatment standard for juveniles only. Why wait until they're dangerous to diagnose and treat them? Now, he does, Mr. Johnson does raise an issue that I have already written an op-ed that was published uh, that I, I'm, I think it was in the Washington Times. They, they took the piece. I don't agree with raising the legal age to own a gun because if you're 18 and you can serve on active duty in the military, why would you not be able to own a gun at home? But he says he feels it would help because that would put the onus of gun access for minors back on the parents, but would not infringe on the Second Amendment, according to him. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is because in a conversation like this, we can't afford not to listen to everything that Mr. Johnson is proposing here after he's done all this research. The conversation has to be had. And I'm willing to talk about any measures if we could get the people on the other side of the aisle, the gun grabbers, to put down their fascination with the AR-15 for a second and discuss mental health and some of the other issues that really they're bigger than the type of gun that's being used then we actually could get some solutions. The reason we don't have anything that's being done, any tangible changes that are being made nationwide is because all they want to do is ban guns. They don't care anything about hardening buildings. They don't care anything about standing up our mental health care apparatus to take care of the problems that are so obviously still out there. He also says that uh, sensible gun law reform would hold the perpetrator's parents criminally liable if found to have had no lockable storage for their guns. I guess we have to talk about that. Finally, hold law enforcement accountable. As a nation, we must create serious consequences for incompetent law enforcement. Parkland is a case study in gross incompetence at all levels with no one being held accountable. I got to say that even with the things in here that he has that I am hesitant to come on board with and, or that I outright disagree with, this is the most well-thought-out approach to a problem that it's basically about to gear back up in just a few weeks. We're at the beginning of the summer. We're going to have a break throughout the summer, and then school will start. And then the bullying will start. The teachers looking the other way will start. The administrators ignoring the worst kids in the building and letting them continue to terrorize other students, and then it'll start to happen again. We already know what is in store for us when school goes back into session. So the the question is, why would we allow that to happen again when we know there are some steps that we could take and all we have to do is take them? We don't even need new laws to do a lot of these steps. Hardening of schools is a uh, capital improvement issue. How much money do you have in your capital fund that you save for replacing boilers and replacing broken windows and things like that? New AC unit is needed, and that costs like $15,000. All school districts have a certain percentage of their operating budget that they store aside for those types of emergencies. Hardening a school doesn't cost as much as replacing a central air condenser for a building that's, you know, 135,000 square feet. It just doesn't. So the onus is on us. And when I say us, I'm talking about you parents. I'm a parent too. To talk to the people who are in charge of your kid's school, whether they're at private school or a parochial school or if they're in public school, to talk to them. You know, you, your kid could be at a KIPP school. It doesn't matter where your kid is going to school. If they're in a school that's outside your home, are you talking to the people in charge there about what they're doing to harden the building and what they're doing to deny access to people who might want to come in and do something like this? 
What are they doing to catch kids who are being bullied, who are being mistreated at school? What are they doing to discipline the wrongdoers, the bullies themselves? What are they doing about parents who are understandably, their hands are tied, they've got nothing they can do to get their kid committed? What are school administrators doing to lean on local politicians to change rules that pertain to when the police can do something, when a child can be committed? These are laws. We have, we have federalism in America where Missouri could have our own laws about when a child, a person who is not emancipated and still lives at home and is under the control of their parents, who is mentally ill and threatening harm to someone else when that person can be committed. This is a local legislature issue. If we wait for the federal government to move on it, the, the issue is fraught with political problems. People on the left only want to talk about AR-15s. People on the right are understandably entrenched in protecting the Second Amendment, which means the other problems that he listed in this article don't get addressed at all. That kind of intractability will result in more school shootings in the fall, more dead kids, and more of these ridiculous, uh, you know, the kids are becoming activists now. The kids are lecturing us about, they don't know anything. They, you know, they barely just learned how to clean themselves and they're up talking about what all they know. They don't know anything. They're still living with their parents. This is a problem that we can fix. And I love the idea that he has about billionaires in this country funding the improvements for school districts that don't have enough in their reserve fund or they've just emptied it out because they've just put in air conditioning units and they don't have anything left in there. Remember, we are the world. Remember when the stars of of Hollywood used to come together and raise millions of dollars on TV singing and doing telethons? And then they would take that money and, and give it to a cause. What greater cause is there than protecting kids at school? Banning AR-15s doesn't count. Sorry, Libs. All right, that's our one. When we get back, we'll have more for you here on Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. 